I got to get some more people.
Good morning, everyone. It's about time to begin our morning service. We'd like to take this time to welcome each and every one of you that's here. We'd like to invite you back again this evening at 6 p.m. for our evening worship. If you're in the area on Wednesday, we have devotional and Bible study at 7 p.m. We'd like to remind you, if you would at this time, turn your cell phones off or on silent. And I've had mine to ring up here. <laughs> it's embarrassing, but we'd appreciate it. Dear own family, thank you all for the kind words and deeds that you have all done for our family at the loss of our mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother, Hilda. She was special to all of us because she was ours. And we know she was special to you also. Her faith and love were evident in all she said and did. And God was always first in her life. Her actions were led by love and caring. She and Daddy, Kermit, Paul always made God the foundation of our family. They have left us all with the example to be servants and to love others. Please keep our family in your prayers as we mourn our loss, but rejoice in her gain of her new home that she has always, that has always been her goal. We have all been made better by knowing her and being loved by her the Hilda Stevens family. Thank you. I'd like to read Romans 8, 37, 38, and 39, if you'd like to follow along. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you bow with me as we begin our worship service? Father, we are thankful for this day of life that you've given us. We're thankful for your Son who came and died for each of us. We ask, Father, that you watch over us as we go through this worship service. We pray the things we do are pleasing unto you in accordance with your will. Be with Chris as he presents us with a lesson, John, as he leads us in the singing. Be with Mike as we surround the table this morning. We ask your blessings on our sick, our shut-ins, and for those that have lost loved ones. Keep us strong. 
Forgive us of our sins. In thy son's name we pray, and amen. Will you stand for the first song, please? First hymn this morning, number 682, To God Be the Glory. Next hymn this morning, number 52, Blessed Be the Name, number 52. After this hymn, Brother Jeff Floyd will have our scripture reading and prayer. All praise to
Let us pray. Lord, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for this congregation. We thank you for this opportunity to come and study and hear your word. And pray, we, Lord, you'll be with us. We pray, Lord, that you'll be with so many of this congregation who've lost loved ones. We pray that you'll comfort them in this difficult time. We pray for the many sick. We pray that you'll continue to be with them and be with their families and just help them, Lord. Lord, we just we thank you for all the blessings we have and pray, Lord, we're always, always grateful for those. We pray, Lord, that you'll continue to be with the elders and deacons and the work that they do here. We pray, Lord, that you'll be with Chris as he brings us our lesson. Be with us, guide us, and forgive us. In Christ's name we pray, and amen. Our scripture reading this morning will be from John chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father, for which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemies, because you... A mere man claimed to be God. Next hymn this morning, number 287. 287, I Love the Lord. We'll sing the first two verses, and then we will have the uh, Lord's Supper.
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Throughout history, God's people have used this tool of remembrance. We see it throughout Scripture. David used it all the time when writing Psalms, that he would remember back to all the things that God had done for him to help sustain him during difficult times, times of trials and, and tribulations. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper on the night that he was betrayed, he directed his apostles as they were taking these emblems to remember him. We are to, uh, to do the same thing this morning as we commune. We are to remember Jesus. We're to remember his death on the cross and through that death, the life that we now have. We're to remember the hope that we have through Jesus, through his sacrifice for us. And we're to remember the covenant that we now have the opportunity to experience with with God because everything that Jesus did for us, again, going to the cross and, and experiencing the crucifixion. So this morning as we take the bread, which represents Jesus' body being nailed to the cross and partake of the the cup or the fruit of the vine, which is representative of Jesus' blood that was shed for us, let us clear our minds and and, um, remove any um, obstacles, anything that may be keeping us from putting our full focus on Jesus. There's nothing more important than, than him. And at this time, let's, let's make sure that we are giving him the attention and the honor that he deserves. Let's pray for the bread. Dear God, we come to you at this time, Father, just thankful, Father, for, for being our God. We're thankful for the love that you have shown us through your son, Jesus. We are thankful for him. We're thankful that we can remember at this time the the events that took place so many years ago, Father, that he was willing to, to go to the cross for, for each one of us to take away our sins, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And we are thankful for that. We're thankful for the, the hope that we now have because of that. And Father, we are just mindful of that, so thankful that we can come together as a church family to commune at this time. And to remember that, Father, we ask your blessings upon the the bread, which represents Jesus' body. We just pray that we will take it in a manner worthy of you. It's through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.
Let's pray for the fruit of the vine. Dear God, we come to you once again, thanking you, Father, for instituting this Lord's Supper that helps us to remember, Father, helps us to remember your son, Jesus, and the sacrifice that he made for us. We're so thankful, Father, that we now have the opportunity to have that covenant relationship with you, Father, that is only possible through your son, Jesus' blood. We thank you, Father, for that blood that covers over our many sins and, and cleanses us of those sins. And Father, at this time, we ask your blessings upon the fruit of the cup, which is representative of that blood. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen.
concludes the Lord's Supper. This time we have the opportunity to take up an offering and, and give back. I'd like to read from the uh, 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We are truly a blessed church made up of blessed families and, and blessed individuals, and our cup certainly overflows. Let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you at this time, Lord, thanking you for all the many blessings that, that you have granted us. You have given us so much here as a, a church congregation, and we thank you for that. Thank you, Father, for our families and, and just all of the, uh, the blessings that we know come from you, Father, and we thank you for those. We ask your blessings at this time upon the the funds that are collected this day, pray that they are utilized in a, a way that pleases you, Father, that will help reach people in this community, will help strengthen us as a body of believers, that will bring us closer to you, Father. Just pray that everything is done in alignment to your will and to your word, Father. Thank you for all that you do for us, and it's through Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Let's all please stand again and sing hymn number 19, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. <clears throat> so at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. Hymn number 19.
Invitation hymn this morning, number 23, All Things Are Ready. This time, Brother Chris. Good morning. It's good to see each one of you with us this morning. Uh, during this section of our year, most of our world is thinking about Jesus' birth. And so are there some things that I think we all ought to know about Jesus? And so we're going to start a new series this, uh, this month. Um, that is reviewing some of the things that we all need to know about Jesus. Probably not specifically anything about his birth necessarily, but there are some things, various things about his life that everybody ought to know. And so we're going to review some of those things. The very first thing that we need to know about Jesus is, who is he? Who is he? Several weeks, <clears throat> excuse me, several months ago, we were talking through the, the gospel of Mark, and Mark proclaims as just as loudly as he can, Jesus is God. And so you've got to make a decision about him. Who is, who is he to you? What are you going to do with him? Are you convinced that he's God? And if you are, you've got to make a decision about him. In Isaiah 7, Isaiah prophesies about a time when God will come to live among us. In Matthew 1.21, Matthew says that that time was... During the, very, during the first century where God will live among us, Jesus will be born. His name will be Emmanuel. Do you really think, do you really believe that God lived among us? A lot of people do. A lot of very intelligent, a lot of skeptical people do. In fact, a lot of people that have no reason to believe in Jesus at all, that did not believe that he was the Messiah, guarantee you that he believed. The first evidence, the first person that we need to look forward to as we figure out whether Jesus was a legend or not is a, excuse me, is a guy named Tacitus. Today we're looking at four different possibilities about Jesus. He was either a legend or he was a liar or he was a lunatic or he was the Lord. And if he's one of these first three, Everything's useless. We might as well not be here. We might as well not make any of the sacrifices that we make for him. But if he's the fourth, if he really is the Lord, he's worth everything. He's worth dying for. He's worth sacrificing everything for if he's the Lord. Can history find him, though? Let's deal with this, this first bit first. Is he a legend? Is he just a, a myth that someone made up a long time ago and, and wrote a book about in you're going to find out that he's not just a legend. There's a guy named Tacitus. He lives right around the same time period as Jesus. In fact, he's born just a few years after Jesus' death. Uh, Tacitus is born in 59 AD. Um, and he's going to die somewhere around uh, the middle of the first century, about 125 or 129 or so. He is not a believer. He is not a Christian. He's not a Christ follower. Uh, he is a Roman proconsul. He's a, he's a Roman government official. The cool thing about this guy is he's a historian. In fact, he is the most noted Roman historian of all time. And so if he were to say something about Jesus as a historical figure, everyone would agree that there's some weight to his statement that you need to stop and listen to what he says about Jesus. If he says that Jesus really did live, chances are pretty good that he really did live. At least 
history knows about him. Again, this guy lives very close to Jesus' time period, and he has no vested interest in believing in Jesus. He's not a follower. He doesn't care whether you believe in Jesus or not. He is simply restating history. He's a history teacher. He's a history guy, and so he wants to tell you the events of history. And so he writes several books. Two of them are still extinct, or to, still around. Uh, histories and Annals. And in those books, he talks about Jesus. <clears throat> in fact, his quote here is on the board behind me. Christus, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, who we found in history, procreator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius. But the pernicious superstition, repressed for a time, broke out again, not only through Judea, where the mischief originated, but through the city of Rome also, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. This guy doesn't like anybody. <laughs> he likes himself. He is a Roman, but he doesn't care about Rome. He is a historian and he likes history. And so he is going to report the facts as he sees them. And looking back just a few years after Jesus' death, he's going to recount for us the major players during this section of history, one of which he points to as Jesus Christ. Again, he doesn't have a dog in the fight. He's not interested in you believing in Jesus. He's simply recording history. And so his record here lends even more weight than a believer's testimony would. If I were to tell you that Jesus were uh, a historical character, you'd say, well, of course you believe he's a historical character because you believe in the Bible. And the Bible portrays him as real, as factual. He really did live and die and rise again. Of course you believe that. You're a believer. This guy's not one of us. He's an outsider. Doesn't care anything about anybody but he's reporting history. And he reports Jesus as factual, as not a legend. But he's not the only one. Josephus, this guy is Jewish. He's not a Christian either. In fact, the next, uh, we're going to look at three uh, sources here um, that will confirm for us that Jesus was not a legend. Tacitus has no vested interest in us believing in Jesus. Neither does Josephus. In fact, he is Jewish, which means that he would prefer you not to believe in Jesus. Listen to what he says. He, again, is a historian. He is the most famous Jewish historian. He also lives during the time of Jesus, right around there, about anyhow. He is going to be one of the generals that overtakes Jerusalem in A.D. 70. He turns Benedict Arnold on his own people and takes money from the Romans and and informs on them basically um, to, about the Jewish people and how to, how to fight them, how to break in and all those kinds of things. So Josephus, again, much like Tacitus, is not a believer. He doesn't care whether you believe in Jesus. He's simply reporting the facts. Remember that, that old TV show? Um, oh, what was it? Uh, Friday, Just the Facts, Ma'am? Yeah. Dragnet, there it is. Just the facts, man. That's, that's what these guys are interested in. They don't care whether you believe or not. They just want to report the facts. Uh, and so here's this guy, Josephus. This is what he says, this Jewish historian. He says, at this time, there was a wise man who was called Jesus, and his conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. Everyone believes that. That's what this guy says. 
and many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die, and those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They did initially, right? But he looks back and says, well, these guys continue on in the faith. In fact, they all, they all died for him. Uh, they reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets have recounted wonders. He doesn't really know, but he's not buying into it. And Josephus' history tells us never becomes a believer. He, he never converts. He's, he dies a Jew just like he was born a Jew. He dies a Jew. He never follows Christ. And so he doesn't care whether you do or not. He's simply reporting the facts. Did Jesus really live, Josephus? Yes. Was he good? Yes. Did he teach good things? Yeah. Did, did his disciples uh, abandon him even after his death? No. no. They all died preaching, preaching Jesus. Interesting, right? Here's uh, another guy. His name's Bart Ehrman. He is still alive today. He's one of our contemporaries. In fact, he is a Ph.D. And one of his Ph.D.s is in... Um, at least part of his studies include the historical Jesus. He's not a believer. This guy teaches um, at the seminary level at a theological school, but he's not a believer. Stop and think about that for a second. How ironic is that? That's odd. He teaches and reads the Bible, but he is an agnostic. He doesn't know whether God exists or not. The difference between agnostic and atheist, atheist is convinced that God doesn't exist. Agnostics don't know whether they can prove whether or not God exists. This guy's an agnostic. Um, and this is what he says about Jesus. So again, you've got a guy who does not care whether you believe in Jesus or not. He is, like Dragnet, just reporting the facts. Here's what he says. Despite the enormous range of opinion, there are several points on which virtually all scholars of antiquity agree. Jesus was a Jewish man. So he's, he's looking at all of the scholars from, from antiquity. He's not just looking at Tacitus or Josephus. He's looking at all of them. He says, oh, these guys disagree on an awful lot, but there's one thing on which they all agree. Jesus was a Jewish man, known to be a preacher and a teacher, who was crucified, it's a Roman form of execution, in Jerusalem during the reign of the Roman emperor Tiberius when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. He says those facts are set in concrete, they're solid. Nobody refutes those things. The idea, in fact, that Jesus did not exist is a modern notion. It has no ancient precedence. It was made up in the 18th century. One might as well call it a modern myth, the myth of the mythical Jesus. He says this thing that that is running rampant in our culture, that Jesus was a merely a legend, that he was merely a myth. He says, that's, that's a brand new thing. Every, all all the, the ancients, all the scholars from, from antiquity, all these historians from old, these guys all knew he existed. Did they believe in him? No. Did they follow him? Not all the time. But they believed that he was real. And this whole idea that, that he wasn't, that he was just a legend somebody made up, that myth was actually made up in the 18th century. This guy's not a believer. He doesn't care if you believe or not. He's an agnostic. He has no vested interest in you buying into Jesus or whether you follow him or not. So his testimony, like that of Tacitus and like that of Josephus, is even more powerful than a believer's. You can't say Jesus was a legend. He wasn't. He was a factual 
literal human being who was also God. He really did exist. And so what are we going to do with him? Now we got to figure out, was he God? Because he certainly claimed to be God. Check out uh, these verses. These are right before the verses that, that Jeff read for you uh, this, this morning. So in John 10, this is what he says in verse 22. At, the, at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. He says, my works speak for themselves. If, if you were paying attention, you could see that nobody does the things that I do if God's not with them. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are, check it out, we're one. He's claiming deity there. You don't believe it? Check out what they understood him to be claiming. Look at the rest of um, the, this passage, in, starting in verse 32. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. This is what Jeff read for us this morning. They understood that he was claiming to be deity, and you can't do that if you're not. It would be inappropriate. They would be right if any one of us throughout all of history, if anyone else besides him claimed to be deity, this would be the normal and rational approach. This would be a normal and rational reaction to that claim. We ought to punish that type of statement. We ought to push back on that type of statement. The only problem was he had the credentials to back it up. He had been teaching, he had been doing miracles, and they just weren't listening. And here he makes the claim, and they understood his claim. Check out the rest of this verse. Um, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. They understood the claim that he was making. You need to as well. He's claiming to be divine. He's claiming to be God. And it's not the only time he's going to do it. He's going to do it multiple times throughout the Gospels. Here again in Luke chapter 5, you're going to see it again. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him down before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, they didn't say these things. We talked about this in Bible class. They didn't say these things. They just thought them. But Jesus reads their minds and then answers their questions. He answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. He's claiming deity, and they got it, right? They saw what he was claiming. You need to, you need to as well. Who can forgive sins but, but God? He's the only one who can do it. And Jesus says, yep, 
You putting two and two together yet? He is God. He claims to be God repeatedly. Here again in John 8, 57. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. The problem with this is, at least for them, Abraham's been dead for about 2,000 years. And they look at Jesus as he's making this statement and they say, you don't even have wrinkles yet. You're not even 50. I don't even see any gray hair on your head. You're not even 50 yet. How can you say before Abraham was, you were there? Jesus says, yeah, before Abraham was, I am. Now, you may not see that as a claim to deity, but they certainly did. Check out what happens. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The reason they see that as a claim to deity is the I am bit. Do you remember when uh, Moses sees the burning bush out in the wilderness? He approaches it. A voice speaks out of the burning bush. Take off your sandals because where you're standing is holy ground. And Moses has this interaction with Yahweh. And Yahweh wants him to go and tell uh, the Pharaoh to release the, uh, the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage. When Moses asks, who should I say sends me? What should I say to that question? How do I answer that? Do you remember how God answered that question? You tell them, I am sends you. It became his name. It, it is his name, Yahweh, I am. It's an eternal statement. He always has been. He always will be. There never will be a time when he has not been. I am. That's exactly what Jesus is claiming here. He's taking them all the way back to the burning bush and saying the God that was there I'm the exact same one, divine. So repeatedly, he claims to be deity over and over again, claims to be deity. Here's the last one we'll look at this morning. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is, what is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witness do we have, do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? He claimed to be God, and you need to answer that last question. The high priest asked, what is your decision? He's God. Can we back that up? He certainly claimed it repeatedly. We know now that he's not a legend. So there's only three possibilities left to us. He's either a lunatic or he's a liar or he's the Lord, the for real Yahweh. That's only three solutions left to us. I didn't come up with this. If you like this, if you like this idea, go back and read C.S. Lewis. He's the one who originated this idea. But you're only really left with Three solutions as to who Jesus is. He's either a lunatic, because only a crazy person keeps making these statements knowing what's coming down the pipe. And you'd have to be crazy not to be able to see it. So either he's a lunatic or he's a liar. He knows what he's saying is false, but he keeps on saying it anyhow. Or he's really the Lord. And then if he really is the Lord, you got a decision to make. So he claimed to be God. What are we going to do with him? Let's, let's see. Was he a lunatic? This is Matthew 22. 
Now, I want you to look at how he reasons because crazy people reason in a certain way, don't they? And while logical people who are in their right minds reason in a completely different manner, Jesus is speaking to the best and brightest of his age. He's sitting among the PhDs. These are the smartest, most theological minds of his day. Check out how he handles them. Matthew 22. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How was it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord? Saying, The Lord said, said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. He stumped them so bad, they stopped asking him questions. Do you see his line of reasoning here? He's pointing back to an Old Testament passage where David calls his son Lord. How many of you dads called your boys Lord? Not a single time, right? Doesn't happen. But he's saying it happened with David. He said it by inspiration of the Spirit that there was going to be a descendant whom he would call Lord. Now, how's that going to work out? Jesus is kind of waiting for the disciples because David's son is the Messiah. Yeah. He stumped them. They, they didn't know what to say. Listen to, listen to Matthew 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. So the best and brightest are getting together. They've, they've convened a conference in which the sole goal is to trap Jesus up in his words. If you were to walk up to a crazy person, could you trap them up in their words? Would they say consistent things? Would they, would be, would they be able to make a consistent argument? No. L listen to what happens here. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. So they've even got in... The other, the political guys, these guys, um, think, think Congress. These guys are the smartest, most political savvy guys. And they've kind of put their arms around uh, the Herodians here. So you've got two groups, the best and brightest. And they come to Jesus saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. They kind of butter them up first before they really uh, throw this left, left hook. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? This was a big, big contention uh, during their day. Should God's people support something that wasn't in their best interest to support? And so Jesus, aware of the malice, said, Why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? Well, they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God, the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. So he says, bring me, bring me, a, bring me a dollar bill. Who, whose image is on that dollar bill? Said, well, Caesar's. Well, if Caesar wants that thing back, you go ahead and give it to him. But you make sure that you give to God what's due to God as well. Not only did he stump them, he threw his own logical right cross, didn't he? That's not the way crazy people act. Listen to this one in Luke 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. So the, one of the best and the brightest came to Jesus, and he was trying to stump him, and it doesn't work. <laughs> Jesus embarrasses this guy, just like he has every single person that comes to him trying to put him to the test. He's not a crazy person. This guy trying to justify himself asks a follow-up question in which Jesus forces him to answer his own question yet again. So who is my neighbor? At the end of the Good Samaritan story, Jesus turns the question back on the guy, back on the, the, the lawyer, the teacher. So which one of these guys was the neighbor to the man? He says, well, the one who showed him mercy. This is not the way crazy people reason. It's just not how it works. Jesus was not a lunatic. That option's off the table for us. We have too many accounts of him reasoning well, outsmarting the best and the brightest of his day in their own field. If this had been mathematics or something else, we could maybe we could understand or something, but th he's outsmarting them in theology. He's using their own records against them. He's using their own logic against them and embarrassing them to do so. He's not. He's not a lunatic. That option's off the table. He's not a legend. He was real. He's not a lunatic. That option's off the table. Was he a liar? Let's check it out. Mark 15. Do people die for something they know is a lie? Follow this logic. Mark 15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests had held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away to, and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? This is the perfect opportunity for Jesus to say no. If he's really a liar, if he's just a common average guy who's got an above average intellect, who's got an above average rhetoric style, if he's just a really eloquent speaker, this is the perfect opportunity for him to say, <laughs> you caught me, you know, you got me. I'm, uh, I'm not really divine. What's he say? He's ready to die for this. Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, you've said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate asked him again. He gave him a second chance. That's not, that's not usual for Roman uh, procreators, for Roman officials. He's going out of his way to give Jesus an opportunity to recant. And Jesus just refuses. He asks him again, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? He's kind of thinking, maybe you are crazy. Because can't you see that they're about to kill you? But we know Jesus isn't crazy. He reasons like a sane man. He reasons like an incredibly intelligent sane man. But Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate was amazed. He doesn't understand it. Because he can't grasp a world in which God comes to reside with man. Because his gods would never do that. The Roman and Greek gods would never have done that. These were selfish, impatient, petulant characteristics of, of who they thought of as gods. And so he cannot imagine a world in which God would selflessly sacrifice himself for man. But that's exactly what he did. People don't die for a lie. Jesus has multiple occasions here to recant, and he doesn't ever do it. He doesn't, even, he doesn't even give room to do it. But not only him, but the apostles refuse to recant as well. Now, the apostles are an interesting breed to me because here's 12 guys 
13, 14, if you count Matthias and Paul, who have seen Jesus resurrected. Now that's going to come, become a so such a powerful argument because if you've seen him resurrected, he really is God and he's worth dying for. In fact, I must die for him if I want salvation, if I want heaven, if I want any of the promises he's made, I have to sacrifice for him. I cannot recant. But if I've never seen him resurrected, if I'm just lying, if me and the 12, 13 disciples got together and we just made up this story, we stole Jesus' body and, and we hid it somewhere and we know that he's not resurrected, we don't die for a lie. But every single one of them, save John, who's, to, who's exiled to Patmos, every single one of them dies for him, including Matthias, including Paul. Every single one of them die for him. Given the chance to recant, every single one of them die for him. You don't die for something you know is a lie. Not in mass. Maybe if you're mistaken, maybe one person was crazy enough to do that, but not in mass. And this happens in the hundreds in the first century alone. The second century, in the third century, this just keeps happening. The Roman officials give Christians the opportunity to recant and they never take it. Because they are convinced that he really did rise from the dead. These 12, 14 guys saw it. And so when they're given the opportunity to recant, they don't take it. Because they know he wasn't there in the tomb that Sunday morning. So he's not a legend. He's not a lunatic. He's not a liar. He's the Lord. So then you're left with... What are you going to do about them? You have to answer that question. What, what are you going to do with them? Because he demands an answer from you. Since he is the Lord, he's worth sacrificing everything for. He's worth living and dying for. Every single day we pick up our cross and we follow after him because he is the Lord. So what are you going to do with them? You can't remain neutral. Neutrality, you can't be Sweden here. Neutrality is not an option with him. Neutrality is seen as opposition. So what do you do with them? That's the question you're left with today. That's the question you're going to have to struggle with. If you're not baptized into him, salvation's not yours today, and you're still lost in your sins, you're still found in opposition to him. He really is the Lord. You can't get around it, so what are you going to do with him? Today, maybe you found out that you're ready to sacrifice everything, leaving family, leaving former faiths, leaving all the other things behind you, and jumping on board with him. That happens through the power of baptism where he washes your sins away and you become a part of his family here. Maybe you've already made that decision and you're just struggling. It's easy for Satan to get in our heads and to fill it with mediocrity. To fill it with apathy. These are things that are not options for us. We have to be white hot devoted to him because he's the Lord and he demands everything you've got. So this morning, if you have a need, why don't you come as we stand and sing? Oh,
Well, good morning, church family. It's so good to see everybody here this morning. Um, if you're visiting with us, we are glad you decided to worship with us this morning. If you can, please take a moment to fill out a visitor card in front of you and put it in one of the black boxes in the back, uh, so that way we can have a record of your uh, you being here this morning. And please stick around so we can get to know you a little bit better. A couple announcements before we are dismissed. As this coming Wednesday at 5:30 will be Stepping Stone Supper. Uh, Mexican is on the menu, and also there's an elders meeting uh, this Wednesday as well at 5.15. Uh, Gary, that's at 5 o'clock for you. I'm joking, Gary. <laughs> uh, December 11th. Uh, also, the middle school and high school devotional at the Williams House. After our evening services, we'll be doing the $5 gift exchange there. Um, so that should be a lot of fun. A uh, lot going on uh, Next Sunday, uh, Life Group 2, that's Gary Leap's Life Group, will be meeting at Kevin and Sheila Harvey's house. Uh, please bring finger food for that. Also, Life Group 1, that's Rick's Life Group, will be meeting that evening as well. After worship service, please bring soup or, or sandwiches uh, for that. Um, and also, uh, Young at Heart will be meeting on the 14th of December as well, that's a Wednesday. I know most time we have Young at Heart on a Tuesday. This is going to be, Young at Heart's going to be held on Wednesday. There's a sign-up sheet on the four-year board if you're wanting to do that with Young at Heart. We're eating here at the building. The preschool kids will be here. They'll be singing us songs and serving us ham and green beans and potatoes. So I do encourage uh, um, 
young at heart to come to that. Also, uh, December 15th at 6.30 will be the holiday cookie exchange. Please bring two dozen of cookies and uh, finger foods for that. Also, Saturday, December 17th, uh, Life Group 2 will be hosting wreaths across America. Uh, they are inviting all members here to, at church for this service project at Woodland Cemetery. Uh, they will meet here at the building at 11 a.m., and that's on a Saturday, December 17th. December 18th is spare time after p.m. services. Everyone is invited to that. If you're not familiar with spare time, uh, Ironton is hosting uh, this here, Ironton Church of Christ. There's bowling. Uh, there's... Um, there's roller skating. I still can't remember years ago, I saw Jerry and Gary roller skating, and I, I'll remember that for the rest of my life. <laughs> that was a long, long time ago. I, my, my kids were little, but then uh, there's putt-putt, there's laser tag, there's all kinds of fun things to really do and get involved with, uh, so I do encourage you to come to that on December 18th. And also, the mission trip uh, committee is asking for donations for wrapping paper, uh, tape, gift boxes, and gift tags. Um, they were wrapping gifts at the mall and uh, raising money for their mission trip. Updates on our prayer list. Remember, continue to keep Terry Egner in your prayers as he's continued with his physical therapy. Uh, remember, continue to keep Terry Leap in your prayers. That's Gary's brother. Um, he has stage four bone and liver cancer. Uh, keep him in your prayers. Um, keep Gary Leap in your prayers as he's doing his physical therapy as well. Um, also, keep Steve Rowe in your prayers as well. Uh, keep Jennifer Baker in your prayers as she goes through her chemo treatments. Um, remember to continue to keep the Jones and Spitzer family in your prayers at this time. Babe Jones passed away. She was put in hospice last week and passed away Friday. Um, the funeral service is held this Wednesday at 2 o'clock um, at Hall's Funeral Home. Um, so, Marin, continue to keep uh, the Jones and Spitzer family in your prayers. Also, continue to keep Marvin Jordan's uh, and the Jordan's family in your prayers. Uh, his brother passed away uh, last week as well, so keep them in your prayers. And Marin, continue to keep Stephen's family in your prayers at this time as well. Um, Jerry, your mom was the light to this congregation We all loved her. She was a blessing and encouraged her to this congregation, and she will be truly missed. And we love her and love y'all. And uh, that's all the announcements I have at this time. Um, we'll sing one more song be dismissed in prayer. Let's please stand again, and we'll sing hymn number 532. Praise him, praise him. <clears throat> we'll only sing verse number three. And then after that, Brother Dwight Dunford will lead us in prayer. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus of
Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this opportunity today to meet together in your presence and to give you the glory and the honor. We're thankful, God, for the blessings that you have bestowed upon us as a church. We ask, Lord, that you help us to go throughout our community and to those that we come in contact with to spread your, your name and your word and to show your love, God, that you have shown to us. We ask you to forgive us, Lord, when we fall short in our efforts to do the things that are right, Lord. Help us to have courage and to always be faithful, Lord, and, and, and forgive us, Lord, when we fail you. We ask you, Lord, to be with the families today that have lost loved ones. We, we hold precious to, to us, and we, Lord, we know that you can comfort <clears throat> and show them love and help them through this time in, in our lives. We ask you, Lord, today that you go with us and, and be with us, Lord, wherever we go, that we, we look up to you and, and give you praise. <clears throat> We're thankful, Lord, that we, we could also worship the name of Jesus Christ in, in our memorial service today. We're thankful for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we're thankful for the love that he had, Lord, that he died for our sins so that we could be forgiven. Be with us today and go with us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank <clears throat> you.